Show of hands. A couple show of hands here. Um, how many of you kids have embarrassing parents? Okay. Hands down. Okay, adults, uh, a show of hands. How many of you had embarrassing parents? Come on, adults. How many of us had... Pa- you never had a parent that embarrassed you in public? Yeah, yeah, let's get some more hands up there. Right. Okay. How many of you who are parents with older kids realized that your parents weren't embarrassing on accident? But this is like a perk of the job, right? This is like something you get to do when you get older. Some, some of you got little kids, little babies. I see a couple, and, and, and you don't, at that age, they're impossible to, to embarrass. Uh, so, so it's not really a thing yet. But when they get older, see, you, you realize this is actually something you get to do. This is kind of fun. I realized my mother wasn't accidentally embarrassing uh, when I got to be a teen, or when I, when I had kids. Let me tell you a story to tell a story. Um, my Aunt Lizzie is, she's passed away. She's actually my great-great-aunt Lizzie, my grandmother's aunt. Uh, my grandmother told a story about going to a pharmacy uh, with my Aunt Lizzie. She was one of the most hilarious people I knew. And they were looking at greeting cards. And, you know, there's no Walmarts or anything back then. So, so... I don't even know what pharmacy it was, but all of a sudden my grandmother noticed something that smelled really bad. And everyone was looking at my grandmother, and my Aunt Lizzie had intentionally done what we all know I'm talking about, and gone over to the other side of the cards and was laughing at my grandmother. Right? This is an old lady. She was like in her 60s already, my Aunt Lizzie. Right? So she she would do stuff like this on purpose. There's so many stories of my aunt Liz, and right now everyone's thinking this is Sunday morning. This is too much information, and I tell that story only for one purpose, kind of along the lines of my last point. We embarrass our kids. Right? Too much information. There was too much information, Dad. I hear that a lot. It's like that was intentional. We read some stories this week, and there are some stories in the Bible you read where you go, that was too much information, God. That didn't need to be in there. I didn't need to read that story. We're in this section of of, of stories in the Old Testament where you start to realize why children's Bibles are pretty thin and there's not a lot of stories in them, right? (laughs) You're like... Oh, I can't read that story. And you're like, we got like six stories in the Old Testament. You can tell your kids, you know, when they're little, you're like, that's a horrible story. Why in the world is that in there? We're going to talk about one of those stories. Just There's just some stories that are awful. But don't seem to have much of a point. I know God didn't, like, just go off and tell a story just, you know, just like some old grandpa. Oh, let me tell you what happened you know, when I was your age. And, and oh my goodness, here comes that story again. That story that grandpa loves to tell that we all hate. That's not the way God composed the Bible. 
So, I want to turn to the book of Judges. Probably one of those stories in the Old Testament that you read and through various times wondered, good grief, I don't understand this, and I have no idea why God would put this in there. Judges chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 29. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Mizpah and Gilead, from then from Mizpah and Gilead, he went towards the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow towards the Lord, and he said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And so Jephthah went towards the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Erwer as far as Mineth. There were twenty cities. And to Abel, Keramim, with very great slaughter. And so the people of Ammon were subdued in front of the children of Israel. So Jephthah came to his house in Mizpah, and there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. And she was his only child. And besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her, he tore his clothes. And he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord... I cannot go back on it. She said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. And so she said to his father, Just let me do one thing. For two months let me alone, so that I may wander in the mountains and mourn my virginity along with my friends. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and mourned her virginity on the mountains. And it was so that at the end of two months she came back to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, as he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel would go out four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, Gileadite. That's a story that you read and you go, I don't understand why. That is hard to read. The the end of the book of Judges is like that. There's some stories that are very difficult to read. I know Christians who won't read the end of the book of Judges because of this story. Just like, I don't want to read that story. So we're going to make some lessons from this, but before we do, we have to talk about what this means first. Because there are different ideas about what this means. There is an idea that says that, and it is the popular one, she was sacrificed, she was a burnt offering. There is an opinion that she was not 
I will give the supporting evidence for both of those. In Levin chapter 31, it seems quite clear. Whatever comes out of my gate, I will offer as a burnt offering. That seems pretty open and shut. We then read of an intense sadness, an intense grief. Whatever this vow was, if it wasn't that, it was going to have to be something that caused a ton of grief because it says... You have laid me low. You are, you're like one of my enemies. You're like one of, one of the people who causes trouble for me. <laughs> because you came out of the door. And if we were to look at this, we understand the time. And as you read the book of Judges, you see that they are a people who are surrounded by paganism. And it would be quite easy, knowing that in certain places in, in, in this area, human sacrifice was still practiced. So it wouldn't have been a surprise for, for us to understand or to accept that a person could be very misguided. There is another view. There's a view that says she was dedicated. It's similar sense as Samuel was dedicated by his mother. That doesn't seem to be so drastic. doesn't seem to be something that would cause a lot of grief, certainly. I want to look at this a little bit. When we read this uh, section we tend to think and interpret this through our modern day life. And we tend to think of this as an accident, like, oh, no, my daughter came out. I didn't intend that. Ah. I want you to understand that whatever, they, they didn't keep pets. They didn't have little dogs. Dogs were what they called a cur. They were like, like feral animals back then. Jephthah made his vow concerning it was going to be a human. Jephthah was thinking a human was going to... That's what comes out of your house. A cow was not going to come out of Jephthah's house. Okay? Whatever Jephthah's vow was, it had to do with a human. Now, he had no kids, so it might have been a servant that he was vowing to, to do whatever to? Okay. So maybe he was vowing to sacrifice a servant, and he made a mistake, and his daughter came out. But this was not like, oh, man, I was going to sacrifice Fido, and my daughter came out. That's not what's going on here. So understanding that this was intended, whatever it is, to be Something done to a human. Let's look at this passage. Verse 
I want to look at the phrase to offer as a burnt offering. Problem with Hebrew is sometimes they miss prepositions. What I mean is they don't have them. And in this verse, there is no preposition. That's an important thing. We have to, because of our language and context, we have to be very detailed the way English works. This verse literally says that whatever comes out of the house, I would, he would offer burnt offering. That's what it says. It does not say offer as a burnt offering. There are lots of prepositions you could put in here that would make it say something different. Now, I don't have any authority to put a different one in. I'm just telling you that there's none there. So we will have to determine from the context if that's the right one or not. Now, just before we say this, I read one guy, and he says one thing, and I read a commentary of another guy. Both of them are smarter than me, and they both vehemently disagree with each other. Okay? They're both smarter than me. They both speak multiple languages. And I'm just the preacher. And as many people have comment, you'll get different opinions on this. This is a difficult passage. But I want to tell you, based on some things that are facts and some things that are likely, burnt offerings were offered at the temple. Okay. So for him to offer a burnt offering, he would have taken his daughter at this point, well, it would have been the tabernacle, and he would have had to go to Shiloh and offer his daughter on the altar in front of the high priests in Shiloh. There's no reference ever in history of that ever happening. Ever. Second thing. Human sacrifices, while they were done, and, and it appears from Scripture that sometimes people like Solomon got involved in them, and others were done never to Jehovah. They were done to Molech, and sometimes, I believe, to Dagon. They were never done to Jehovah. Ever. There's no reference. Ever. Anywhere. You will not read it. The only reference in here to what happened to Jephthah's daughter, it is never referenced really specifically what happened to her. But what she mourned was not her death. What does she mourn? She mourns her virginity. If you are about to kill me, and I was a single guy, I would not mourn my marital status. I would mourn the fact that you're about to kill me. That's just the way I think. Maybe it was different back then. I want to look at the verse that we began with. Verse 29 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. 
Jephthah had a connection with God. God was working through Jephthah. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect, but I believe at some point, if, if the Holy Spirit is working through Jephthah, he's going to kind of give him some insight as to whether or not he approves of human sacrifice or not. That would be my assumption, but that is an assumption. People who have had a connection to God have done things wrong before. But I want to review just a little bit of history of what we know prior to this point. Two men named Nadab and Abihu mixed the wrong recipe of incense and put it on an altar and got burnt when they profaned a sacrifice. Shortly after this, some people are going to touch the Ark of the Covenant accidentally, and they're going to immediately die. I believe when God says something concerning the tabernacle back then, he takes it very seriously when it's misused. And if a human was sacrificed on the altar, I don't think that Jephthah would have lived to tell the tale. I think there would be some postscripts in this story about things that happened to Jephthah because he profaned the altar with a human sacrifice. You can convince me one way or the other. But I do not believe that Jephthah's daughter was sacrificed. I believe she was dedicated with Abraham. If you go back all vows, any vow that was made was accompanied with a burnt offering. Samson, Samuel, all of those were done with different prepositions. A burnt offering. And as to why, as to why he would have been so upset, this is his only daughter. This is his only child. His line is done. Because of the vow he has made, Jephthah's line is done. There's no lineage. And that was a big deal to them. It's not necessarily a big deal to us as it was to them. That was a big deal. His vow, which he blamed on his daughter, brought him low. It ended his family. And all of this misses the point. All of this discussion that we have to have because it's a big thing when we read this and this is what stands out to us and all these verses miss the point. That's not the main point. I want to talk about two very ideas. We forget in this thinking, okay, let's say I'm right. Now I could be wrong and I could be right. Let's say I'm right. And we go, she didn't die. Something tragic happened to her. And it wasn't her fault. She got blamed for it, but it was Jephthah's fault. 
I want to talk about the importance of your words. His words affected other people. We affect other people, even with speech. And it might be that that's why this story is in here, to explain that when you speak without thinking, you affect other people. And yourself. And it is so easy to think that it's the other person who listened wrong or did something wrong that's why everything's messed up. Well, you misunderstood me, or whatever. Here, why did you come out of the house? Why did you promise you were going to do whatever you were going to do and say that? Why would you say that? He didn't even have to bargain. See, that's another thing, not even in my notes. God doesn't even say, hey, bargain with me. And God had told them to get rid of these people hundreds of years earlier. Jephthah didn't even need to make a bargain with God. But here he is, bargaining with God. And while he didn't necessarily intend to offer his daughter's life, he was willing to bargain human beings' lives, whatever he was vowing. He was intending to bargain some human's life for future. Our words are important. They affect other people. And I want to talk about not just the importance of our words, but I want to talk about the importance of our word. I don't think Jephthah was a reprobate. Now, we could get that if we read his whole story. He started off a person of questionable birth, if you want to read the whole story. To the extent that his rest of his family kicked him out and said, you're not like us, your mother was not our mother. And you are, he was the black sheep of the family. He was the... He was the oddball. He was the person who everybody talked about in the family or outside of the family. Everybody talked about this guy. He was different. So he goes, travels far away, and he gets in with the wrong crew, and essentially he becomes a horse thief. What they would understand as the horse thief back then. He steals to live. That sounds like a reprobate. But somehow, out of all of that, he becomes a decent person. He comes back as a person who wants to to do the right thing. I don't know. Maybe he just met the right woman. Maybe maybe some woman he met met and married, and, and, and she's not in the story at all, and she turned him around. I've seen that happen. I, I don't know how he got from there to here, but he changes somewhere between point B and point C. <laughs> because he understood the importance of making vows. 
He understood that whatever you do, even if it's inconvenient, you make a promise, your word, especially to God, is important. And you don't get to break that because it's inconvenient. We wait our promises. I made a mortgage, a, a promise to a mortgage company two years ago. I keep that promise. Don't you? I keep, that's, a, that's an important fact. I've made several agreements with cell phone companies. Right? We wait our vows. I'm not saying you can't switch cell phone companies. I'm just saying we have different weights for different contracts, don't we? He understood the importance of a, a vow and specifically to God. And he shows great integrity. That he keeps that promise regardless of whatever it cost him in the end. By the way, let us not forget that he raised a daughter who had the same value. In fact, she might have been the thing that made him go through with it. He might have been teetering on the edge, and his daughter said, listen, you better pay that. He successfully got somebody to carry on that same value for word, for promise, for vow. That's incredible. Just understand that, that, that whoever Jephthah was at the end of his life, that's not the man he was at the beginning of his life. I want to end with two big ideas. First of all, how have others been affected by my words? By the things simply that we say. They can be positively or negatively affected. Something that Jephthah said or did positively influenced his daughter. Made her a person of great integrity as well. That was a lifetime that went into her. But also his words negatively affected her. And affected his family. Words have great impact. But I also want you to understand that your word has great significance. The agreements that we make and the things that we say and the things that we will do, those mean something. And it means a great deal to God. We gave our word. We made a covenant with God. everybody in this room at one point in time gave your word. You took Christ as your Lord and Savior. You said, I give my vow that my life belongs to you. 
God accepted you. And he gave you the benefits of the covenant. He said, we've entered into a contract. And I will keep my end of the contract. But you better remember the terms of the contract. Because there are some incredible severance penalties for breaking that covenant. It is a great vow. It is the greatest vow you can make. We make lots of vows and they all are important. We make marriage vows and we make financial vows and we make all sorts of vows. And and I'm not saying that God cares which one I don't think God necessarily grades those. They were Many of our vows are all made before God, so it doesn't make a difference whether they were made directly to him or in regards to him or in regards of something else. When we make vows, they're important to God. I'm telling you, this one here is the greatest one you can make. I don't mean to scare people because we need to make more of these covenants. To be immersed into Christ is the greatest covenant you can make. It comes with great, great rewards. As the scripture says, more, you can do more than you, abundantly more than you can think or imagine or ask. But it is a vow. Remember today as we leave the importance of your vow.